Hello, Valparaiso. This is Allison Schutte. And Willow Walsh, and you're listening to Welcome Project Radio. The Welcome Project collects first-person stories and pairs them with facilitated conversation to help participants forge stronger ties within and across communities. We vision a world in which people are curious about and actively seek to engage those who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Asana Yoga Center and Roots Organic Juice Cafe, two excellent ways to feel good during a pandemic. They're located online at asanacenter.com and rootsjuicecafe.com. The music is provided by WVLP's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. Today we bring you Caught in the Crossfire, a story from the Welcome Project's archive. All right, so um, our normal method of doing things here is that we will play the story for you, and then Willow and I will have a conversation about it. Willow, can you just give us a brief overview of what we're about to hear? Yeah, so our storyteller today talks a little bit about his experiences of interviewing current and former residents of the city of Gary, two sides of a shared history in Northwest Indiana. All right, so listen up, Valparaiso. I think that, um, like all of us, live this shared experience but we see things differently obviously it's like it's like old um we all touch this elephant and we have different parts of it and we don't know the other part and i think by sharing that people can understand a little bit better of what uh, somebody else may be experienced even though we we're in the same maybe the same community the same city the same region but by sharing it we can kind of like understand at least a little bit i don't have these pie in the sky dreams but at least a little bit like oh he saw things this way that's interesting well gary indiana come on what's the first knee-jerk reaction you or anybody else has about Gary, Indiana. We all have our preconceived stereotypes, our notions, our prejudices. And I've, I've done public presentations, and I'll say, who's from Gary, and what's your first instinct about Gary, whether you're from there or not? And people are fast to have an, a reaction, fast. They don't hesitate. They don't even hesitate to say, oh, it's a horrible, it's a dump, and it's poverty-stricken, it's gangs, and it's crime, and who'd want to live there? Others say, oh, it's beautiful. And back in the 50s, it was the model city. It was the miracle city. It was literally called the miracle city back then. They were mad mad, angry, and they're still mad. I've written the book called Lost Gary, and I've talked to people at presentations, and they're still mad. Decades later, they were kicked out. They were forced to leave their city is how they view it. I get why they're angry, and I've talked to probably hundreds of them by now with, for my book project to realize why they're so angry. They were raised and had this idyllic, they viewed idyllic existence, and they, that got ended, and they had to blame somebody. We, as a human condition factor, we have to blame somebody for our problems and woes and troubles. And it's an easy thing to blame. The, the, the blacks are coming in, the whites are moving out. That's exactly how they equate it. And I still talk to people to this day. It's 2016, almost 2017, and people are still have that methodology in their mind. That's their explanation, their rationalization. It's simple as that. And they involve Richard Hatcher, the, the mayor of Gary, who started all that, and black power and everything else. And you can't wash that away. You can't wipe that away. And if I engage with people, which I have done, especially through my columns, and I'll purposely antagonize them you know, to, to get a dialogue out of them, I won't get very far. That's, that's all there is. That's their reality. That's their absoluteness. They won't go any farther than that. And they see it in very black and white. The colors of gray has no hues in their world. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of uh, a black population in Gary, and I love talking with these people. I, I enjoy it much more than talking about the white population who left Gary, to be honest, um, because they're still there, and they're still dealing with a lot of these problems and issues, and I give them just so much credit for still being there. You know, they can leave, too. Anybody can leave this existence if you want to. You just leave. But they're not, and they determined to stay there, and to this day, and yeah, they have animosity, uh, but I think they have less animosity and more kindness, I think, in their heart, so to speak, um, for whatever reason, maybe because they've been oppressed, 
maybe because it's their city and it's, they're proud of their city still. You know, it's not their former city. They're not natives of Gary. They're, they live in Gary. They're from Gary. We're from Gary. And because of my job, I have this total advantage of interviewing both sides and getting caught in the crossfire and take some shrapnel from it. And I don't mind that at all because I love doing it. And I love hearing both sides, which makes my black and white world very gray. So what did you think about the elephant metaphor that the speaker mentioned? Like, what was he talking about there? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I have to start with that. So um, I think he uses the phrase shared experience before he brings up that image of the elephant. So I think um, when I hear him, I get this sense of like, um, there's a reality independent of any person like actually experiencing it. And then when we bring in our individual subjectivity, like we touch a very specific part of it. Um, That doesn't make the whole of it go away, but it does minimize like the aspect of it that we can engage um, or access. And so he says that we have different parts of it and we don't know the other part and then it seems like what he thinks is one of his roles is to help, or at least for himself, he wants to know other parts that people are experiencing that he himself doesn't have access to. And so that kind of launches him into his um, enterprise or his work as a columnist or an interviewer. I don't, does that, is that how you saw it too? Or Yeah, definitely. Honestly, like, I'm going to be honest, my, my, my first reaction to it was it made me think of creative nonfiction. Uh (laughs) Now, okay, hold hold on, I'm going to go on a little tangent here. But like creative nonfiction, essentially, for our listeners is like a true story well told. And so when I think about creative nonfiction for this, I remember reading in your class, you're talking about like, there's this dinner party, right, where a lot of people are at a dinner party. And if you were to write about that dinner party afterwards, Like, nothing would be particularly untrue, but it would be all of these different, like, personal experiences of what happened at the dinner party. So these, like, this, you know, like, summation of it at the end would be really different. And so that's what makes me think about this elephant. Like, there's, there's, like, there's this, like, upwards, eagle eye, like, objective reality of what happened at this dinner party. And there's, like, a, like a, like a video frame version of it that we're not really privy to because we don't we can't really see it like a narrator like that yeah Yeah. and so that's what I think about when I think about the elephant here it's like you know it's this entire maybe history of Gary or honestly I was thinking about it like in terms of like specifically white flight like there's the there are these two completely different ideas of it and I know our speaker talks about it as like the white residents who left Gary and so I'm thinking of those people of like standing at one of the legs of the elephant okay. and then I'm thinking of like the black residents who stayed in Gary at like the trunk of it okay and so I think the idea here that's implied is like the white residents in Gary they've seen a very specific view or a very understanding of what made either them or their families leave Gary and then for the black residents, I think there's, there's another completely different view of it, like, like why white residents left Gary. And so, but the, there's a problem that I actually end up having with this metaphor. And okay. I don't know if I'm putting <laughs> too much, like too many of my assumptions onto it because I'm the one who called the elephant white flight. But I think there's, there's, the, there's this equating that happens of where it's like the white residents who left Gary only have this, this view of the elephant's leg 
and then they're they're shouting to the end of, of of you know to the elephant who of the black residents who are standing at the trunk and saying no this isn't an elephant well they don't know it isn't this, this is a leg this couldn't be an elephant this is a leg i know it's a leg i've experienced it as a leg this is just a leg and you calling it a trunk is just preposterous because i'm looking at it with my eyes and i see that it's a leg but i think that that idea makes you think that the black residents who are standing at the trunk would view it in the same way, would say, no, this is just a trunk. This isn't an elephant. I know this is a trunk you're like, but I actually don't think that's real. <laughs> like, I think that, there, that, that, that the equating of it is a little bit off because I would argue that the black residents who are standing at the trunk know it's an elephant. They like, they can see the totality of the elephant. They know their perspective, but they also have a good gauge of why white residents decided to leave, right? This idea of like fear of the black population in Gary or like this, you know, the speaker mentions like being forced out. So okay, I think- Okay, okay, we need to slow <laughs> down. We need to slow, slow, slow way down. Cause you're starting to pull in different parts of, of the story That's already. True. Yeah. So, um, so I do, I do want to make sure we get back to your potential disagreement with the storyteller about the use of the analogy, but you're starting to lose me. Okay. <laughs> so, so let's back up for a minute. Okay. Um, I don't know if this is the best place to do that, but I was curious about in the very next paragraph or part of his story, he talks about um, everybody has a knee-jerk reaction to Gary, which is interesting because he just comes off this analogy where he's like, depending on which part of the elephant you have access to, you see something different. And then he goes and gives us a common experience. Everybody has a knee-jerk reaction to Gary. And so I was curious, like, why does he assume that? What do you think he tells us um, that helps us understand that everybody has a knee-jerk reaction? Yeah, I think that's a great point. Like, I think there's this idea of, you, you know, it's like, I had this growing up here too. It's like, there's something about Gary, like whether you're privy to that history that happened in Gary, you just, you know that like Gary used to be something that it's not mm -hmm. today and it's different now. And I don't know if we, we all know the differences there. Like I know I personally didn't, but I know a lot of people, like I think older folks, especially like who lived there in the sixties and moved out have, have this different perception of it. And so I think just as folks who live in this region, like in Porter County, I think we all know of Gary. And I think, I don't know where this like shared sense of like, this like Gary as being, there's, I mean, there's a lot of pejorative terms here, right? Like he's talking about like mm, gangs, yeah. crime, why would anybody want to live there? Like it's a dump. Like these are all things he, he's quoted from people that they've said about Gary. So. But that's in contrast to the back then. It was the model city. It was the miracle yeah. city. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it seems like there's something about that drastic change in what is the city looking like? How is it functioning that is producing the knee-jerk reaction? So regardless of who you are, and actually he might be wrong about that, but like it's at least his the assumption that he's working on, and I guess with people he's talked to, that everybody's going to have an immediate like, oh, this about, I'm going to say this about Gary. Um, so that makes me wonder if the elephant is actually like the change in Gary mm. from one thing to another that was so drastic that it has provoked knee-jerk reactions as opposed to 
just white flight. Um, but anyway, so that's a way of starting to get back to, to where you were. But let's let's keep unpacking. Um, uh, if you're just joining us, I'm Allison Schutte, and uh, I'm with Willow Walsh. And this is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio. And today our storyteller is talking about two sides of the history of Gary, Indiana. All right, so how do we, how do we unpack the white and black perspectives? Um, I was wondering if part of the elephant that white folks are seeing is brings up anger. Like, what is, what is the anger about? Mm. He says, I, they're, they were mad, mad, angry, and they're still mad. And it's interesting because when you first hear the story, you don't know who the they is yet, or he hasn't named it yet. Um, so you have to work with your own assumptions. And it's only later, actually, that we start to understand he's talking about white folk. And then he says, I get why they're angry. But um, I don't know. Um, what do you think the anger is about? Yeah, I mean, I think he follows that up with the idea of, like, he, he calls it the human condition, this, this, like, need to place blame. And so I think that's, that's maybe where the anger is. I mean, actually, I think it comes from two different things. So I think on one hand, the anger comes from this idea of, back to the elephant reference, of, like, there just being different facets, different experiences of this history of Gary. And so I think... And, and we haven't, I mean, our speaker alludes to, we haven't really seen movement on that front, right? Of like people's understanding of it. Because at one point he mentions like, it's just locked in there. Like people have this idea of what happened and they're, they're kind of not budging. Yeah. And so I think maybe that's where some of the anger comes from is that like, not only do we have these perceptions, but they're really locked in. And so to have other people challenge that with other viewpoints of what happened, I think that can cause some anger. I mean, especially okay. now, I mean, we're seeing that in our political discourse, yeah, right. right? It's like we're so polarized, it's so hard to come together without just creating this anger. So I think on one hand, it's from that. But I think on the other hand, like I know that I've heard stories from white residents who used to live in Gary, and th there's some anger that comes from this defensiveness, I think, um, from, from this, this idea of blame. Like, I don't know if the blame is always named, but I know that when you ask people about, like, why they left Gary, there's this sort of guard that comes up immediately that's like, well, we left because we were forced to, because, the, you know, they'll name any other X, Y, and Z things that happen, and, you know, like, this is why we had to. So it, it, it really quickly becomes onto this defensive side of, like, kind of defending why they did what they did. So I think, I think that's where that anger comes from. It's kind of twofold, like, not being able to share that experience and understand multiple facets of it and then also that other idea of like kind of defensiveness about like you know standing by why you left yeah actually that makes me wonder this is going beyond what I think the storyteller tells us but if you're being forced to account for your reaction and you don't like the reason you're going to give like he says uh the storyteller says it straight out um the blacks are coming in, the whites are moving out. So I, as a white person, am blaming the blacks for coming in. But like most people do not necessarily feel comfortable saying, well, I left because black people were moving into my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So if you're feeling like somebody's asking you to account for your anger and the reaction is like due to racism <laughs> and you don't want to say that, that could also potentially compile 
the anger that you're already feeling that you're like I don't I don't like why I'm reacting the way I'm reacting but I and I feel like I can't really share it directly so that adds to the defensiveness and makes me further entrench in this sort of initial reaction which is anger maybe I That's don't know. interesting no <laughs> I would actually I would push back on that just okay. a little bit because I'm thinking about there was one storyteller that you had interviewed and they they mentioned like they 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 had cited like violence against their family like there was this like very particular instance to where they they felt threatened in some situation yeah. and so I, I think it's interesting that you're you're saying that I mean to my understanding what I'm hearing is you know that there is this idea of like they're, they're recognizing that it is kind of racist right like they don't want to name it but it kind of is in the back of their head and that's kind of what gets them into that defensive anger position but I'm wondering if that has really set in for that for some folks I think so like this idea of naming these examples of like well I left because there was violence I left because the newspaper started reporting violence or I had firsthand seen some sort of like crime or violence. Like these specific examples that people get into makes me think that, I don't know, that maybe maybe it's the perception that they're being viewed as their actions are being racist, but they don't actually believe that. And so they want to give these examples that prove why that's not the case. Yeah. And so maybe it's that, that anger towards the perception of them being racist. I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I, I, one of the things I think we're falling into here is um, like the context of 2020 versus the context of 1970. And it's mm. hard for us to know because uh, I was born in 1971 and you didn't come along for much longer than that. Um, so to think back on, I feel like some of what I just did and, and what we're falling into is like applying the 2020 categories mm. to like 1967 1968 when not that people were more blatantly racist than I mean maybe they were but I think that even just this the segregation um which I believe is based in racism but if you just think about the fact that people were not living together in integrated neighborhoods so you could say potentially, well, the blacks are moving in, so the whites have to move out. That could be a kind of reaction that, again, it feels like it's on some fundamental level based in a kind of racism, but it doesn't necessarily have to be an individual's racism that's like looking around and being like, things are changing here. What's going on? I'm feeling really insecure, and I, I don't know. Things aren't going the way. They're, they're like, I like the Miracle City. Why, is, why are things changing? <laughs> This is not this is not what I want and why is it happening to me? So maybe some of that anger is um, just a kind of resistance to change on some level. I'm not, none of us like to have control <laughs> taken away, you know, or a good thing going. We don't like to have that um, like what we're enjoying. We don't wish to see go away. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty human thing. It's probably as human as the blame game, <laughs> kind of. Uh, so I don't know, where does that leave us? Um, well, maybe I wonder too, like you brought up like dates and how we're viewing things a little bit different. And uh -huh. I also did want to touch on what he says right after that. And he said, I still talk to people to this day and he names it's 2016, almost 2017. And people still have this methodology in their mind. 
And I'm wondering, as we're listening to this in 2020, does this still hold true, do you think? Is this still the same methodology that people are thinking about? And when he says methodology there, he's talking about the explanation, their rationalization. Yeah, actually, um, I think this is related to a question I had about, he says, okay, so uh, simple as that, they involve Richard Hatcher, the mayor of Gary who started all that, and black power and everything else, and you can't wash that away, you can't wipe that away. And I was interested in that phrase, like you can't wash that away, you can't wipe that away. Who's the you and what's the that? And it seems like... um, He's saying that the white residents who ended up leaving uh, continue to see like this change in fundamental social dynamics with, um, he calls it black power here, um, which obviously was a term that was used at the time. And I think it's like I can imagine as a, a white person at the time what you might be seeing is that black people are gaining more access to political power and and you're starting to feel like that means that black people will work on behalf of black people i'm a white person like who's going to be looking out for me so i think the methodology is yeah like i had to leave or my family had to leave gary because there wasn't going to be room for me anymore because Blacks were taking over in terms of the politics of the city, and um, there wasn't going to be a place for them. So I think in 2016, 2017, that's, I mean, three, four years ago, I actually feel like that probably is solidifying, especially in our own current politicized or polemic or polarized climate. Um, It seems like there's a, I don't know, actually, I guess I, I guess I would go both ways. Like I, I see people cl- reclaiming a kind of division and segregation, black people for black people, white people for white people, brown people for brown people. And then I also feel like there's the other side where people are like, no, we want to resist that um, re-entrenchment into difference uh, without engagement and, and they're actually actively fighting to try to keep um, reaching across lines of difference, in this case, race. So um, maybe I don't want to be quite as pessimistic, but, but I guess I feel like there are people in the region who probably, yes, that would still be the methodology in their mind. Mm-hmm. Did you have a different... Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I almost think that, like, you mentioned you know, like today it's a little bit different in terms of, you know, some people fighting against that idea of separation of like, of wanting to maintain that communication. And I'm thinking about like the Black Lives Matter protests that are happening. So you have, you know, a lot of people who are against those things and also a lot of people who are showing up to those things. And so I think you're right that there's, there's a renewed interest and a renewed cognizance for it. My, my question is though, I wonder if that connects locally. Like, I wonder if, like, because when I think of that, I think of that more national reaching, like a more, like, I don't know, like changing the, you know, the the systemic United States. Like, I just think of that as, like, a huge topic. And I don't necessarily know if I connect those things, like, locally, like, specifically to Gary, I think. It's, like, where, where some of those things are happening, you know, around my own city. I don't, I don't know if, so I think I'd be on the fence there. I think it would be, 
still very similar to what he's talking about this this sort of rationalization and explanation as as to why as to why uh i guess white flight happened from gary and this sort of like separation that had solidified and also the you know the maybe not defensiveness but sort of like explanation as to why mm -hmm. so that rationalization i feel like that would still stay pretty similar to this day and i guess specifically like as a backwards looking thing to account for what happened then you know, maybe people's experiences today aren't necessarily opening up new avenues to them. Mm -hmm. Like if they thought that way, then they're still going to be thinking that way now. I don't know. I would, I would want to have, <laughs> we can talk about the pie in the sky thing though. And, and I don't want to forget, I don't want to miss talking about pie in the sky today, but I do, I do feel like there might be a part of me that is like, well, what if more people practiced like what he's doing, like, cause he's trying to feel, feel out more of the elephant. And so people's ideas potentially could change. Um, I need to uh, remind people that this is WVLPLP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso. And you're here with uh, me, Allison Schutte and Willow Walsh today on Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio. And today our storyteller is talking about two sides of the history of Gary, Indiana. And we're going to go ahead and play the story uh, one more time. Um, it's good for Willow and I to have it fresh in our minds. And if you joined us late, this will be a way for you to, to catch up with where we're at. I think that um, like all of us live this shared experience, but we see things differently, obviously. It's like, it's like old, um, we all touch this elephant and we have different parts of it and we don't know the other part. And I think by sharing that, people can understand a little bit better of what uh, somebody else maybe experienced, even though we were in the same, maybe the same community, the same city, the same region. But by sharing it, we could kind of like understand at least a little bit. I don't have these pie in the sky dreams, but at least a little bit like, oh, he saw things this way. That's interesting. Well, Gary, Indiana, come on. What's the first knee-jerk reaction you or anybody else has about Gary, Indiana? We all have our preconceived stereotypes, our notions, our prejudices. And I've, I've done public presentations and I'll say, who's from Gary? And What's your first instinct about Gary, whether you're from there or not? And people are fast to have a reaction, fast. They don't hesitate. They don't even hesitate to say, oh, it's a horrible, it's a dump, and it's poverty-stricken, it's gangs, and it's crime, and who'd want to live there? Others say, oh, it's beautiful. And back in the 50s, it was the model city. It was the miracle city. It was literally called the miracle city back then. They were mad, mad, angry, and they're still mad. I've written the book called Lost Gary, and I've talked to people at presentations, and they're still mad. Decades later, they were kicked out. They were forced to leave their city is how they view it. I get why they're angry. And I've talked to probably hundreds of them by now with, for my book project to realize why they're so angry. They were raised and had this idyllic, they viewed idyllic existence, and they, that got ended. And they had to blame somebody. We, as a human condition factor, we have to blame somebody for our problems and woes and troubles. And it's an easy thing to blame. The, the, the blacks are coming in. The whites are moving out. That's exactly how they equate it. And I still talk to people to this day. It's 2016, almost 2017, and people are still have that methodology in their mind. That's their explanation, their rationalization. Simple as that. And they involve Richard Hatcher, the, the mayor of Gary, who started all that, and black power and everything else. And you can't wash that away. You can't wipe that away. And if I engage with people, which I have done, especially through my columns, and I'll purposely antagonize them, you know, to, to get a dialogue out of them. I won't get very far. That's, that's all there is. That's their reality. That's their absoluteness. They won't go any farther than that. And they see it in very black and white. The colors of gray has no hues in their world. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of uh, a black population in Gary, and I love talking with these people. 
I, I, I enjoy it much more than talking about the white population who left Gary, to be honest. Um, because they're still there and they're still dealing with a lot of these problems and issues. And I give them just so much credit for still being there. You know, they can leave too. Anybody can leave this existence if you want to. You just leave. But they're not, and they determined to stay there. And to this day, and yeah, they have animosity. Uh, but I think they have less animosity and more kindness, I think, in their hearts, so to speak, um, for whatever reason. Maybe because they've been oppressed. Maybe because it's their city, and it's, they're proud of their city still. You know, it's not their former city. They're not natives of Gary. They're, they live in Gary. They're from Gary. We're from Gary. And because of my job, I have this total advantage of interviewing both sides and getting caught in the crossfire and take some shrapnel from it. And I don't mind that at all because I love doing it. And I love hearing both sides, which makes my black and white world very gray. Okay, so we're back. This is Allison Schutte and Willow Walsh. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio. And we're going to continue to unpack this story um, together. I, I wonder if we can, not that we don't have to go back and maybe finish unpacking some of the white experience, but um, I'd like to move forward to uh, the, what he's talking about in terms of how the black residents what maybe access to the elephant they have. Um, but first he says he loves talking with the black population in Gary, maybe more. Actually, he says, I enjoy it much more <laughs> talking with the white population, to be honest. So um, can you think through, like, why does he enjoy speaking with the black population more? What does he tell us about that? I think, well, well, first he names a few reasons why he enjoys it. I mean, I think there may be more, but but the reasons that he gives us are you know he said they stayed right it's like anybody can leave this existence as he says you could just leave and he said but they're not they're determined to stay there and i think that you know there's there's like an act of courage there or just uh, a, a you know a determination to stay in this city that you know we know so many people have left but you continue to stay there and you continue to say things like well i'm from gary you know yeah. so i think there's this like there's this claiming of this space that so many people have these you know knee-jerk really painful mm. reactions to about you know it being crime ridden and all of these things but there's still people who are there and who want to claim it as their city. And I think there's something really admirable about that. And so I think maybe that's why he, he loves talking with them, the residents, a lot more because, you know, it's, it's, it's a little more nuanced to understand, like, yeah. where that love comes from. When, when, you know, I don't think, you know, or at least he didn't name any knee-jerk reactions that are, oh, well, I love Gary. Gary has, you know, a thriving community, you know, yeah, we, scene. We, we, we rally for each other. <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah. So, yeah, so I think that there's this, you know, this, this deeper understanding of, of these positive sides of Gary that we don't often get to see that I think he maybe likes unpacking a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, and I think it, um, I think it has a lot to do with people staying, right? Because then your, what you have to comment about is not only the past, it's also the present. So if somebody is locked into their reaction from 1967 or whatever they heard their parents say in 1967, like that's, that's a small sliver of reality that you have to hold on to. But if you've stayed, you have everything that you experienced in 1967 or that you heard about from your parents all the way up to and including what you yourself have, have gone through in the intervening, is that like 50 years? <laughs> Um, so I, I do think that like somebody's probably gonna be more um, 
like you won't be talking to somebody so reactive. You'll be talking into somebody who has like a, a bigger palette that they're mm. that they're drawing off of. And so probably that's a little bit more engaging or enjoyable, um, maybe, than um, just getting that constant like, nope, we're mad, <laughs> we're mad, we're mad, we're mad. We were kicked out. We were forced to leave, kind of thing. Um. So what else about the the black experience, maybe do they have access to that white residents wouldn't? I don't know. In terms of access, I mean, I, I love what you said about like this, this, you know, this experience of the present day. And that makes me think about this part where he's saying, you know, I think they have less animosity and more kindness, talking about the black residents of Gary. And I and I think that's I think that's such a great observation. Like I, I was I was going to ask you about that line. Like, why do they? Why does he perceive them to have yeah. less animosity and more kindness? And I and I think that's that's fantastic. And I think it's it's this idea of like they're not stuck in the 1960s, which is where so many white residents' history ends of Gary. And there's no there's no new new histories, new perceptions formed. And so I think you're right. Like a lot of residents who continue to stay there today have this entire history past you know 1968 that have that it, that is more fuller and fleshed out and they're not living within that anger so i think maybe the storyteller says they have less animosity and more kindness uh because of that that fuller richer history that they and experience they have within gary that a lot of white residents who left don't really have access to he talks about oppression um and pride as two other reasons that might bring out kindness I think the connection between oppression and kindness is interesting. Like on one hand, I, I agree with him because I feel like, you know, when you've suffered something, it has softened you because you've realized you're vulnerable. Um, and so that can bring out a kind of kindness for other people who are, you know, sh suffering like you. Um, on the other hand, I'm also troubled by it because I feel like, um, I mean, oppression could actually like, bring out a different kind of anger. Mm. Um, and so I, I don't want to, you know, like put forward a, a kind of idea of like the ideal suffering, you know, like person who's like taking the hits that life brings along and is somehow rising up, you know, above it in this really, uh, this way that doesn't like account for like how difficult it, it could be. Um, so I don't know, I worry a little bit about that, but I mean, um, these are just his thoughts. Like you can see that he is trying to understand something he perceived as opposed to like knowing that he has the answers. I do also wonder if we ought to just recognize, even if you and I sitting here don't know, like he's a, oh, well, actually I know, <laughs> he's, a, he's a white person. So like when you are a white person, I mean, I guess I can just put it in terms for myself. Like, will a black resident talk to me, a white person, in the same way that they would talk to a black interviewer? Mm. Like there might be different parts of their experience they're willing to share with me as a white person. And I wonder, if the, like to, to flip it, will the people that he's talking to who are white residents share things with him that if they were being interviewed by a black person, they wouldn't say. So some of what we're hearing is filtered by his person too and what people would be willing to share with him. So I, I do think that um, like 
the kindness piece that comes through, um, like that might be impacted by the fact that they're talking to a, a white person. I, I don't know, like if that's, it just seems like important to, to say, even if like we can't know like whether that had an impact or not. Yeah. No, I think that's a fantastic point in terms of, yeah, wow, I never really, I didn't even think about that when I was listening to this I mean, story. it's interesting with the elephant, you know, metaphor too then yeah. because it's like suddenly we have to realize that this storyteller who's actively trying to feel or see more of the elephant is still receiving <laughs> receiving parts of the elephant <laughs> through people who are just having their hands i don't i don't know it's it gets like woo like <laughs> brains can get turned around very quickly <laughs> as we think about like how perception works um, and relationships across perceptions maybe that's one reason why the elephant doesn't work quite as well or always work like it doesn't account for the relationship aspect or I don't know how to actually I mean I wouldn't know how to make the elephant metaphor work at that level of like um, working across difference like how does that impact what gets heard and what gets told Oof, I don't know <laughs> Okay, this would be a good time to say if you're just joining us. I'm Allison Schutte, and I'm here with Willa Walsh. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio. And today our storyteller is talking about two sides of the history of Gary, Indiana. I wonder if, so you mentioned that because he's a white interviewer interviewing black residents of Gary, Indiana, like there's, there's maybe this filter that's happening with the, the experiences he's documenting. And I wonder how you think that impacts like the ability to, for both sides, black residents in Gary and white residents who left Gary to view this entire elephant. Because he mentions at the beginning too, like there's this, you know, he, you know, it's not a pie in the sky dreams, like he says, but you know, he, he mentions his wish, which would be somebody saying, oh, he saw things that way. That's interesting to just acknowledge that. And so to me, that sounds like he's wanting this idea of this, like this exchange between black residents of Gary and former white residents of Gary. And I wonder like from you, like how do you think that sort of like filter if it's there, like how does that impact our ability to access the full elephant, whatever that mm -hmm. may be? Yeah, I mean, a related question I had is it seems like he's always talking to the different groups separately. You know, mm -hmm. like, and sometimes that's just because if you're interviewing somebody, you, you might be doing one person at a time kind of thing. But he talks about a presentation, but it seems to me like the people that are in that room may <laughs> seem to be white based on like how he's saying that they react. So I wonder if he's wanting to give people who are only feeling the trunk the experience of the leg and vice versa. Like he seems to think that he needs to be the channel by which that happens as opposed to maybe the pie in the sky is like that people would choose to do that themselves like black residents and white residents coming together um he seems to think maybe that's a little like too idealistic um okay so i didn't answer your question though i mean do you are you asking like will will white and black residents of northwest indiana get together and exchange 
their like what they what piece of the elephant they have i think so yeah but i think there's also this idea of can we because you mentioned like race can be a barrier for these conversations and like so does that filter impact our ability to fully relay our side of the elephant and for us to be able like can we see the whole elephant with sharing these stories or is there going to be that filter there that hides some aspects of the elephant that both sides are seeing preventing us from seeing the whole thing together yeah i think so i mean based on my experience of being either a teacher or a facilitator um i think it's really hard to trust like especially if especially like a presentation or a workshop where it's people that are meeting each other for the first time and so you like maybe in a classroom the the idea is that in a classroom over a course of 15 weeks you would hope that your students and yourself as the instructor could form a community where there's enough trust that you can take risks with each other but i feel like in those in these one-off presentations or workshops it's really hard to build that kind of trust like immediately and so um I think there would be some people who would be editing themselves and what they were sharing. And I also think there might be um, a lot of reactivity. So if somebody chooses to say something um, that another person finds offensive, so let's say like a a white resident is just like, well, I mean, we didn't want to leave, but we had to because, um, you know, black people were moving into the neighborhood and white people didn't want to live with them. Like if there were black resident or if there were black participants in the the workshop, that could immediately, of course, like be like, well, you know, like how are we different? Like what's the problem? Um, and be a kind of anger as opposed to like, I don't know, should the black participant sit there and be like, hmm, that's interesting. That's the leg for you. <laughs> like that's how that felt. Okay. You know, like I do, I mean, I really do feel like the the metaphor of the elephant works if you say that the ideal is understanding and not agreement. Mm-hmm. Because then you come into the room being like, all right, I have my feeling for the trunk. This is my experience that I'm going to name and share and talk about. And then I want other people in the room to understand why I have, you know, why those experiences feel the way they do. And then I'm going to listen to other people who have very different accounts. And just, I don't need to be persuaded by them. I don't need to change my mind. I just need to understand like, oh, so that's why you had the experience you had. And then the understanding is all that you walk away with, not necessarily like agreement about what the elephant looks like. But I think that's really, it takes a lot, (laughs) like to be able to not feel threatened by allowing there to be a, a, a part, I don't know if it's like, are there parts of the elephant that are still not visible to us? Or he seems to say at some points, like if we just had everybody talking about their part, then we would finally see the whole elephant i mean he calls it pie in the sky but it seems like he's imagining that that's what would be the case but based on like what we're saying i actually i don't think that you're going to see the whole elephant just by hearing how it was experienced 
by one person or one group, one racial group, and then one other racial group. Like, you're not necessarily seeing the elephant yet. You're just seeing the, what is it? Like, you're seeing the part that they're touching, or you're seeing how they react to the elephant. <laughs> but, like, the actual, like, elephant itself remains very elusive, <laughs> it feels like. I mean, it's there because it is like everybody does share the same like patchwork of like geography and the same political system and, you know, this, they're, they're operating under the same policies and practices. So like that is shared, but like how do you see what's behind your interpretation of it? Is that where you wanted to go? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. Like, I, I think you I think you named something that was really interesting that is not how I was thinking of it, is you brought up this idea of, like, even if we're talking about these specific parts of the elephant, does that mean that we'll see the entire elephant? And I think you're right. Like, no. I, and I think maybe even if I'm going to like elude it further, like maybe that's the pie in the sky that we yeah. could all come together at some point and we could see this elephant in totality and understand it and understand all the facets of it and where our lived experience fits within that. But I think the, this, you know, the part that he, he settles for is, you know, to just for somebody to say he saw things that way, that's interesting. And I, if we're going to, you know, make it towards the, the metaphor. It's almost like if you're standing at the leg of the elephant and you're hearing about the trunk, you know, if you only believe it's the leg, you know, maybe it's just you saying, oh, that's interesting. You view it as a trunk and not, you know, not connecting the two together mm -hmm. into the elephant, but just deciding to, to believe someone's lived experience and not negate it because it doesn't fit within your view of the leg or feel good yeah like i wouldn't want to hear like you left because people like me were moving into your neighborhood i mean yeah um so the pie in the sky thing is that we could ever actually access the elephant as a whole i think so like that will continue to elude us i mean that's interesting because i feel like with Flight. So the Welcome Project has this Flight Paths initiative, which is trying to create an interactive documentary website for the for these histories that we're collecting from residents. And I think um, when I, you know, when we started, the idea would be like not just individual people's stories, but if we also gather the history of a neighborhood, if we gather the history of certain like landmark institutions, if we um, make sure that we research and include the practices and policies that shaped like who had access to which neighborhoods and who had access to mortgages and documented the civil rights movement, like all of that taken together, like our interactive documentary website would be the elephant, <laughs> you know? And so now I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. So is it, possible that if we st if you step away from oral history to include these other elements that you do get closer to the elephant or is it pie in the sky to think of the documentary website as the elephant i don't think it's pie in the sky at all like i think you're right on it like i think it is but i think 
there's this whole aspect of our ability to access it as that. Because I think that's where that first step comes in, to hearing it and thinking that's interesting. And I think there's that element of trust there. Like, I mean, I would say that if someone were to come to the website and receive all of the stories that are on there and all of the histories that are on there and learn about the different landmarks and be really open to that and like understanding the, the differences between the storytellers and their perspectives, I think that is the elephant. I mean, as you said, I don't think we'll ever get the full elephant, but that'll be yeah. a pretty large chunk of the elephant. <laughs> but I think there's this aspect of if somebody believes that they've only got the leg and the, the trunk and the other legs aren't part of the story, that's gonna, they're gonna have a really hard time going to your website and mm. believing that you know the trunk side of Gary is, you know, they, they, I don't, I think they'd have trouble seeing how that fits within their lived experience, and so I, th I still think there would be resistance to viewing it as the elephant, and maybe a doubling down on it being just the leg. Yeah, that makes me wonder because he, you know, our storyteller talks about getting caught in the crossfire and taking some shrapnel for it. And I've been trying to like figure that out. I mean, he clearly likes kind of um, stirring the pot. There is another place where he talks about, you know, trying to get some dialogue going and people just double down on him, but he does it to be provocative. Yeah. Antagonizing. Yeah. And so <laughs> I was thinking like, what is it? He has this idea of like, he himself, has access to you know both sides and what does it mean to be caught in the crossfire is that like something that happens when he publishes one of his columns or he puts out a social media post and what's the shrapnel mm -hmm. so I would say so I was thinking about this one too and I think there's this idea of and it again it's going to relate back to the elephant metaphor it just works so well but so I think it wouldn't be crossfire if, you know, white residents at the leg of the elephant were talking to the black residents of Gary at the trunk and both sides were sharing their stories and, and seeing how they connect to this larger picture that is the elephant. I think the crossfire aspect comes in and that, you know, people, he's mentioning that people are doubling down on their perspectives of Gary or their perceptions of Gary, these notions of Gary. Like everybody has a very specific sense of what Gary is and like how they feel about it. And so I think that's where the crossfire aspect comes in because instead of hearing these, these two different perspectives and, and, and you know, kind of taking stock of that and saying, oh, I see how that fits in to this experience and how that's different from mine and accepting that, I think there's this, there's this inability to, to maybe listen or maybe there isn't space to have these conversations to listen to different perspectives but i think there's just this doubling down on where we are and so i think for the the storyteller he, he's getting he's hearing these very absolutist perspectives of gary that aren't it's not shared across other lived experiences there's no cognizance of how other people were living through that it's just their view as an absolute and so I think that's where the crossfire happens, right? So it's just like, this is how it is from one side. This is how it is from another side. Uh -huh. And it's kind of a back and forth. Okay. And there's no like meeting at any point. It's all just a back and forth. It's kind of missing each other maybe. And I think the shrapnel is this, I don't know, that one's a little tougher. But yeah. I think there's this, 
like this, the, like a picking up of the pieces, right? Because if you have all of these perceptions that are just, they're not landing with your listeners with, you know, if you were to, if black and white residents were to have this sort of dialogue, it would be received better. I mean, I think that's his ideal. So I think the shrapnel would be, it's not being received. It's kind of, it's kind of falling flat. There's this, you know, this is how I believe it is. This is how I believe it is. And there's no, there's no meeting. So I think that's where the shrapnel comes in this. Isn't shrapnel also like, um, like it's, it's something that hits the unintended, an unintended target. Mm. Or if like a bomb explodes, like it hits a target, but then the shrapnel is what comes out after. So it's like, I feel like he's saying that um, he's he's taking some heat, like he's he's getting hit by sort of the react the reactivity, and is uh, he says he doesn't mind, <laughs> he loves doing it. So, I mean that's strange, and I guess if you take the metaphor too far, <laughs> but, but thinking that there's something that was not intended to to hurt him or land on him that that is in the end kind of digging in under his skin too um so i that could be like what you were you know like a, a way of thinking about it if the two sides are firing at each other and he's caught in the crossfire the shrapnel is accidentally landing on him even if the other people didn't intend that but i also just wondered like if he's getting it when he posts something um, in a column or on a social media post are people reacting at him like well you're taking somebody else's side and so then they start aiming directly at him um, but that's not being caught in the crossfire I guess that's like that's a direct attack so <laughs> <laughs> um, just as your fine what's your final what's your final thought today uh, my final thought um I guess it would still be a question. Um, what if, like, how do you think we see, he mentions that people see it in black and white, but because he gets both of these sides, he sees it in all hues of gray. How do we see these experiences in hues of gray? And what, is that, what does that do for us? Yeah, so that is a great question to end on and leave with our listeners today. Um, that's all we have time for. Thanks for listening. Um, and thanks again to our sponsors, Asana Yoga Center at asanacenter.com and Roots Organic Juice Cafe at rootsjuicecafe.com. We here at Welcome Project Radio love to support our local businesses. And you can find us online at welcomeproject.balbo.edu and wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>